As we prepare to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have declared, is not my word like fire and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Your word which goes forth from your mouth shall not return to you empty without accomplishing what you desire and without succeeding in the manner for which you send it. So bless it to us now, we pray for our good, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad to have you here. We've been considering together a series through the book of Proverbs, and we've come to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. You'll find that on page 669, I think, in most of the Pew Bibles. Um, If you're using your own Bible, I don't know what page that's on, but it's between Psalms and Ecclesiastes. Probably if you open your Bible right to the middle, you're close. Uh, So Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to begin our reading at verse 20 and read through uh, the end of the chapter. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, uh, through the end, verse 33. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. And will be at ease without dread of disaster. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Uh, Wisdom has come to us through different voices as we've gone through the book of Proverbs so far. Wisdom has come from different quarters. As the book began it was clearly the wisdom of the king. Solomon speaking to introduce the book to us. Uh, Then the voice changed to the father and mother and the family speaking wisdom. And now we see wisdom speaking directly. Um, This is one of the features of the book of Proverbs to sometimes personify wisdom and have it be as if wisdom is a lady who speaks to us directly. 
Um, This is going to happen five more times in this introductory part of the book of Proverbs where wisdom is personified. It makes wisdom more vivid. Um, It makes it have a little bit more of a punch to think of wisdom as a person. So boys and girls, wisdom isn't a person out there um, somewhere. But this is just a picture that the Bible is using for us. But it's a vivid picture. It's a memorable picture. It packs a vivid kind of punch when wisdom speaks directly. So this is the first of wisdom's speeches uh, in the book of Proverbs. And what does wisdom do at the very beginning? What is the topic of her first speech? Uh, Well, wisdom is speaking to the simple to rebuke them and to recall them back to herself. She's speaking to the simple to rebuke them and to recall them back to herself. Um, And she does this with with this very vivid and moving speech. Um, And what does wisdom do in this speech for the simple ones? How does she call out to them? Well, she calls out to them first to recognize their folly, uh, to realize what they're doing. Wisdom wants them to recognize their folly and then realize the fate that's coming as a result of that folly. So they're first called to recognize their folly Then they're called to realize their fate. And finally, they're urged to recover their future. That's the last thing wisdom says to them. Recover your future. Don't don't continue on the path you are and end up where that ends. So we're going to look at the speech in that way. Wisdom calls the simple to recognize their folly, to realize their fate, and to recover their future. Now, the beginning is to recognize their folly. I like how one commentator put it. Lady Wisdom is no shrinking violet. Uh, she doesn't say, you know, excuse me, will everyone listen to me? Uh, what does she do? She speaks publicly and passionately, right? We see Wisdom going out to every single public place where she's most likely to be heard. Uh, that's the point of what, we're, what we read here when we read that she goes out in the street, in the markets, to the highest walls or to the noisy streets, at the entrance to the city gate, this is where you find all the people. She's going to where the people are. She's going to make this as public as she can. Her speech is public and it's passionate. She goes to these places and cries aloud. Um, She's not waiting for an audience to gather. She's going to gather her audience by what she says. She's going to shout it out and not be shy about it because it has an urgency to it. Um, There's an urgency to what she has to say. Um, And it's urgent for life. That's the point of it being so public and done in such a public place. It's because everyone needs to hear this. Wisdom is for living life. Wisdom is not simply an academic pursuit or something that, you know, intellectual elites sit around and just kind of chat about what wisdom is. It's, it's vital for living life. God's wisdom is vital for living life. And that's why she speaks this word in public. One commentator says, this is a reminder to us that God's truth is not like the secrets of a mystery religion, available only to the initiated. Instead, God openly declares the treasure of his divine wisdom for all who will hear. It's for the man and woman on the street. It's for everyone to hear and to live by. All of us need wisdom to live with the right morals and the right mind 
in a world that's upside down. And so wisdom's call is public, it's passionate, it's clear, and it's condemning. Right? It's, it's totally clear who wisdom is speaking to. She's speaking to the simple ones. Right? We see this in verses 22 and 23. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? It's not, not really hard to figure out who she's talking to. Right? To the simple ones. Now we said last time we talked about this, that simple ones in the book of Proverbs are not, are not inherently bad people. Who are the simple? They are the naive. They're the innocent. They're the gullible. Often the young in Proverbs who just don't know any better. It's not bad to be simple. All of us were simple at one time or are simple now. It's not a bad thing to be simple. Uh, We all are at some point. What What is the bad thing that wisdom is highlighting here? These are simple people who love being simple. Right? It, it's, it's not bad to be gullible, to be innocent, to just not know any better, but it's pretty bad if you're gullible and you say, I love being gullible. Right? Um, that's when you want to say, really? You, you, love be, you love being gullible. You love not knowing. Um, that's what wisdom is so upset about. You love being like this. And, and wisdom says, you know who loves being like this? Fools. The worst kind of fools. Um, wisdom lumps the simple in with who love simple-mindedness with the worst of the fools. The scoffers are the worst. They're public enemy number one in the book of Proverbs. There's nothing worse than to be a scoffer. To be a fool who loves not knowing what they're talking about. And loves talking about it. They covet immorality. That's literally how we could translate this. Scoffers love, they covet their immorality. And fools hate wisdom. And that's what, that's what wisdom is coming along and condemning in these simple ones. You love being simple-minded. And that's on a road to being a fool. To being a scoffer. How long are you going to love being gullible? That's why wisdom comes with this word to condemn them in their foolishness. To plead with them not to be like this. Not to stay this way and certainly not to end up this way. Like scoffers and fools. Um, And that's because of the dangerous situation these simple people are in. Wisdom is going to come and give them a speech that they won't forget. It's going to be public and passionate, it's clear and condemning, and it's unforgettable. That's what wisdom says. Wisdom is no shrinking violet. She says, I'm going to give it to you right like you need to hear it. And I'm going to hit you with it right between the eyes. Now we might think there's something of an olive branch extended when she says in verse 23, if you turn at my my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. We might think, oh, that, maybe that's a little bit of a, an offering by wisdom. You know, if you turn back, then I'll, I'll pour out all these good things. But actually, the way, the way this is written, this is not the carrot that wisdom is offering. This is the stick. Um, wisdom is not saying, if you, do, if you turn, I'll, I'll give all these things to you. What she really is, is essentially saying to them is, buckle your seatbelts, because I'm about to let you have it. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. 
I am going to gush forth my words to you, and it'll make your ears ring in a way you'll never forget what I say to you. You'll never be able to go away and say you didn't hear it. So buckle your seatbelts because you're about to get it right between the eyes. Because you need to understand where you are. You need to recognize the folly that you're engaged in. And what is it to love their simple-mindedness? How is that manifested? Wisdom says it's manifested in the fact that when I offered you wisdom, you turned it away. You repeatedly rejected and have consistently rejected what I've offered you. How how do the simple ones love their simple-mindedness? Well, they've rejected wisdom at every turn. There's sort of four vivid images given to us in verses 24 and 25 about what they've done. And we could sort of categorize these four things in two groups. What have they consistently done? They've rejected wisdom's guidance. I called to you, and you refused to listen. I extended my hand to you, and you essentially slapped it away. When I offered you guidance, you wouldn't take it. When I offered you correction, you wouldn't take it. When you were going on the wrong way and I offered you counsel, you refused my counsel. When I saw that you were going in the wrong direction and I rebuked you, you ignored my rebukes. I've offered you guidance, you've rejected it. I've offered you correction, you've rejected it. That's how you've loved your simple-mindedness. By refusing all that wisdom has to offer you. And wisdom says to the simple, you have to understand, you have to recognize your folly and realize where this folly is leading you. You have to realize the fate that awaits you if you continue in this folly. Because what happens to these simple-minded ones if they will not turn back? Where are they going? What is their fate? Well, four more vivid images are used in verses 26 and 27. Terror, calamity, distress, anguish. That's what awaits those who embrace their folly. That's what awaits those who love their gullibility. This is where it ends. This is where it ends. Terror, and not just terror, we're told, terror strikes you like a storm. Uh, that, that's a very vivid image. That, that, that word for storm is a destroying kind of storm. Think of like a Category 5 hurricane. This word is such a strong word for destroying wind that it's become used to describe the Holocaust. If you've ever heard the Holocaust referred to as the Shoah. This is the Hebrew word here, Shoah. Terror will come like a Shoah. The fact that you could use that word for the Holocaust perpetrated by the Nazis against the Jews shows you the devastating impact of this word. But of course, this is not a storm of wind. It's not a storm of weather. It's a storm of terror. That's what awaits the wicked. A whirlwind of calamity that leaves you in distress and anguish. 
that extreme terror that comes with being without help and without hope in the world. What is this a picture of that wisdom is giving the simple? It's a picture of the final judgment. It's a picture of what will happen when the Lord Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. Um, What happens when the Lord returns to judge the living and the dead? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit more tonight in Belgian Confession, Article 37. But what can we say here? This world that is currently upside down in its wickedness at His coming will suddenly be turned right side up. That's the good news of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this upside-down world will be turned right side up. Um, I loved what one commentator, how one commentator described it that way. Wisdom rejoices in turning the upside-down world right side up. When wisdom overturns folly, righteousness ousts wickedness, knowledge overcomes ignorance, humility topples pride, and life swallows up death. Here is a witness as wisdom is pictured as the witness of what the Lord will do in that judgment. That He will come and everything that is upside down in this world, He will turn right side up. And while that's good news for all of us who are trying to live like right side up people in an upside down world, things will finally make sense and be set right in the world. There are upside-down people living in their upside-down world and think everything is normal. And wisdom is saying to them, there's a day coming when your order will be radically overturned. And it will be a day of terror and calamity and distress and anguish for you. And And wisdom says, I will stand there as a witness. And when it happens, I will laugh at you and I will not listen to you when you call. Now, our first reaction might be to say, wisdom is mean. When, when this happens to you, I will laugh? It seems like a really heartless reaction, doesn't it? I will laugh? Wisdom will laugh not because it's funny or because wisdom enjoys seeing them suffer. It's sort of the laugh of absurdity. Wisdom is sort of saying, I won't be able to help but laugh when the absurdity of what you've, you've clung to is proven to be entirely worthless. It's just laughing at the absurdity of the moment. I remember watching a boxing match once where, where two guys were fighting and there was a small break in the action. One of the boxers said, come on, to the other guy. And the guy stepped up and just knocked him out with the next punch. And they just kept showing the replay over and over again. And this guy going, come on, boom, and then just, you know, asleep. And... You couldn't help but, you know, you laughed. You can't help but laugh. It's not because it's mean or you want to see guys get put to sleep. But it's funny when a guy says, come on, and gets knocked down. That's sort of what Psalm 2 pictures to us about the world doing to God. We read in Psalm 2, verses 2 and 4, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The whole world stands there in front of the Father and the Son and says, Come on, we're going to take you. And God looks at the absurdity of that and laughs. 
It's like trying to keep a sandcastle going when the tide is coming in. It's a losing effort. That's what wisdom is saying. What you're choosing is so absurd. I won't be able to but laugh when, it, when calamity comes on you. You've invited this. And when it comes, it'll be just what you deserve. I'm just going to be laughing at the absurdity of what you thought you could accomplish by your foolishness. I'll laugh and I won't listen. You're going to call to me in that day and I won't answer you. That seems pretty harsh too, doesn't it? Verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. That seems kind of harsh. But you see, there's a kind of appropriate justice in it. Because what wisdom is essentially saying is, I held out my hand to you all the time. I called to you and you wouldn't listen. I extended my hand. You slapped it away. I offered you guidance. I offered you correction. I kept coming and talking to you. and You didn't want any part of it. And now you want it? Now it's too late. When I called, you wouldn't listen. And there's a time coming when you will call and I won't listen. It'll be too late. It'll be too late. One commentator said, Wisdom will be as unresponsive to them at the time of judgment as they were to wisdom at the time of salvation. What is this a reminder to us? What is, what is the central message that wisdom has when it says you have to realize where you're headed? You have to realize your fate. Wisdom is saying this, there is no second chances for fools in the judgment. There are no second chances for the fools in the judgment. Then you will turn, then you will seek, but then it will be too late. Charles Bridges put it this way, this is the misery of deserted souls. It is dreadful to be deserted by God at any time, but how much more in the day of trouble. To have his face not only turned from us, but against us. To have his eternal frown instead of his smile. This will be hell instead of heaven. Um, it's, he cites there with a verse where Saul is so desperate to hear from God, even though King Saul would not come to God when he was to be found. He's so desperate that he even tries to conjure up Samuel's spirit from the dead to speak to him because he's so desperate from for a word. It's his day of trouble and God's not answering him. And he's told, he's turned away from you. You turned away from him in the favorable day. Now he's turned away from you. He's not answering you. It's too late. The kingdom's been taken from you. This is the warning that's coming to us all. It's an awful future uh, that's coming to all those who, who refuse to repent. I shouldn't say it's coming to us all. It's coming to all those who refuse to repent, who refuse to turn to the Lord, who refuse to accept His extended hand well, in the day of salvation. And it seems harsh. And it seems awful. It is awful. But what does wisdom say to those who end up this way? It says to them, you have no one to blame but yourself. This is the consequences of what you've chosen. Right? Verses 29 and 30. Because they hated knowledge. 
and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. People struggle with the doctrine of the judgment because they say it seems so unfair. It seems so harsh. But what does wisdom say? If this is your fate because you will not turn, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. This isn't something you do out of ignorance or of omission. This is a willful disobedience. This is hostility to God. Right? What did they do? They hated knowledge. That's an active action. They hated knowledge. And it comes across even more clearly when, it, when wisdom says, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. That word that is used here for choosing is a word that talks about a deliberate, careful choice. It's the same word that was used when David was selecting the five smooth stones that he would use in his sling when he was going out to fight Goliath. He went in the, in the, in the river and looked for the right kind of stones. He carefully chose five stones that would work. That same word is used here. You deliberately and carefully chose not to fear the Lord. This was a deliberate, willful, hostile action on the part of fools. And so they have to realize that their fate is their fault. They're the ones who bear responsibility for coming out this way. It's the fruit of their ways And it's the result of their own schemes. That's how fair the justice is. It's their own fault that they end up this way. And before we stand back and shake our heads and say, what a a sad group of people. Um, As if we stand apart from this whole speech and nobody's speaking to us. Notice that the, the speaking has changed in verse 28. Notice verse 27, the the fools were still being addressed, uh, the simple were still being addressed directly. From verses 20 to 27, it's been you. How long will you do this when your calamity comes, when your terror strikes you? Verse 28 changes who's being spoken to. It's not you wisdom is speaking to. It's speaking about them now. But who is wisdom speaking to? It's speaking to all of us. Wisdom is speaking to all of us now. When it talks about their fate, she's speaking to us. And what is her word to all of us that she's speaking to? She's reminding everyone who hears her voice speaking in the public places that the word of God cannot be refused endlessly. Someone commentator put it, the word of God cannot be refused endlessly. There always has to be an end a meeting with the God whom our refusals have offended to the point of finality. You can't refuse the word of God endlessly. Also like the vivid way that C.S. Lewis put it in his great divorce. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and consistently desires and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. 
To those who knock, it is opened. There he's just quoting the Lord. That's what God says to all of us. Seek me while I may be found. As we read in our assurance of pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he might have compassion on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And the urgency that comes with this message is to do that while the day of salvation still stands. Because there is going to be a time when the Lord will not be found. A time where he is not near in salvation, but near in judgment. And the message comes with that urgency to seek the Lord while he may be found. While today is still the day of salvation. That we not end up like those who end up seeking him when it's too late. That was a warning Jesus gave the Pharisees. John 7.34, he said, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And then John 8.21, so he said again to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. What is wisdom's message to all of us, including these simple ones? Seek the Lord while he may be found. What does wisdom ultimately want to do? It wants all who hear to recover their future. It's it's a difficult message, right? It's a hard word that we've had to look at today. It's not fun to think about judgment. But why does wisdom talk in this way? One commentator said, truth has a harsh edge and wisdom does not dull it. Her shock tactics aim to persuade the young to return to her. Persuade the young to return to her. The point of the speech is so that simple ones would listen to the voice of wisdom before it's too late. Listen to this rebuke and turn back before it's too late. That they would find hope and that they would find a future. Because the good news is, today is not the day of judgment. At least not as we sit here and as we listen to this word, today is still the day of salvation. Today is still the day when you can turn back. That's one of the most important words for repentance in all of the Old Testament. Return to the Lord. Turn back from where you're going. Because we're on the way to death. It's interesting that verse 32 says, the simple are killed by their turning away. And what does wisdom want them to do in verse 23? Turn back. Return. We all need to do that. That's how all sinners meet Jesus. If you think about it, all of us meet Jesus walking in the wrong direction. Jesus always meets us walking the other way. And what does he say to us when he meets us? Turn back. You're walking the wrong way. And the way you're walking, it leads to death. Do you want to live? Turn back. Turn around from where you're walking and follow me. And the Lord not only says to us, the way you're walking is a sure way to go to death and hell forever. If you ask him, well, where will we go if I follow you? Verse 33 tells us, whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease 
without dread of disaster. There's peace in following the Lord. There's safety and security in following the Lord. There's a true peace, a true security there. Not the false kind of security that the fool enjoys. Right? Verse 32, the complacency of fools kills them. They sit there and think everything will be just fine. Or to put it in biblical terms from Isaiah, tomorrow will be just like today. Great beyond measure. Somebody pass the wine. That's not how it is. The complacency of the fools destroys them. They, they sit there at ease thinking they're safe when they're not, and they're suddenly destroyed. When the upside-down world is turned right side up. It's not so for the righteous. The righteous actually dwell secure in the Lord. They have justifiable peace of mind in their God. They can be at ease without dread of disaster. The same word used here for disaster is the word that's translated terror in 26 and 27. The terror that comes like a storm is no danger to the righteous. The wise who turn and listen and who fear the Lord and who choose knowledge um, will not be swept away. There's no terror in the judgment for the righteous. There's vindication and hope. And so the question that wisdom presses on the simple comes to all of us today. Have you heard the voice of the Lord speaking? Have you heard his clear call to turn back from your sin and to follow him? Because through these words in this text, he has publicly and passionately pressed on us the urgency of following him today, not tomorrow. Not to try to live in the false complacency of saying, I don't believe all this judgment stuff. I, I, I'm just not persuaded. You know, that was the first doctrine the devil attacked, was the doctrine of the judgment. You will not surely die. The doctrine of the judgment is true. There is a judgment coming. And the message is clear. If you don't turn back, you will surely die. So how is it with you? Right? This is put to everyone, whoever listens. To the one who listens, have you listened? Because if you haven't, you've heard in this word what will be true of you. But if you have listened, if you've listened and obeyed, if you've repented and believed, if you've turned back and followed after the Lord Jesus Christ, you can trust that his cross has saved you from your sin. That you are secure in him for your future. That he will give you a peace that can't be broken and a safety and security that can never be lost. And out of the abundance of his grace, he will provide that salvation and safety and security to you now and forever. So let every one of us here listen to wisdom's cry. to Seek Jesus while he may be found. And might we have trust in what Jesus promised to all of us in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. May we all find the Lord.
Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, the word of judgment is a hard word, and we pray that we would not dull its hardness and also not despair in fear of escaping, but hear the clear promise of the gospel that if we listen to the voice of wisdom, if we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will save us from the judgment to come. That he was judged on the cross in our place, as the Lord's Supper will shortly remind us of. That he suffered his blessed body to be broken and his precious blood to be poured out, that we might be spared from the judgment. And that if we turn back and follow him in repentance and faith, we can be assured that his blood and sacrifice will cover our sins. That the judgment that should have been ours has already been paid out against him on his cross. And therefore, when he comes again to judge the living and the dead, all who have put their faith and trust in him will not face the terror and calamity, the distress and anguish of that day, but it will be the great day of our deliverance. When this world that is so upside down will be turned right side up and death will, swallow, will be swallowed up by life. How we look forward to that day. How we earnestly pray that all here would be ready to meet that day in the sure confidence of their Savior. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be grateful all our days from being spared from that judgment. And to know that when Jesus comes again, he is not coming to deal with our sins, but to save us as those who are eagerly waiting for him. Might that be true of all here? Hear us, we pray in Jesus. Let's take up our Psalters and as a song of response, turn to number 412. Number 412, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. We'll stand together and sing all the verses of 412. just sing this to the tune of the doxology instead. I think that'll be simpler for us. Let's sing this to the tune of the doxology.
think that worked out better, uh, to, to be a blessing to you, which is what we want. And the Lord, of course, wants to leave you all with his blessing. So people of God, lift up your hearts to the Lord and receive now his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. People of God, go in peace.